Um, well, I'm really excited to be here with you today, especially because um, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to join you today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I started um, treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, I know several of you even this morning have, have just come up and said, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, I've been praying for you. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I'm, I'm doing great. I feel great. I'm so uh, just very, very thankful. I don't take it for granted at all that I get to be here. And I just want to say, uh, John and Lindsay, it's great to just see the, the job you guys are doing. Excited for you with the new baby coming and, and also um, just with the, the new building. And there's a lot of news and a lot of first. Uh, in your lives and also here in the church. And so do you guys know you have incredible leaders uh, who have just done an awesome job leading? Um, so it's just a joy when I get to come and just be here with you. So today we're looking at uh, church number five in this Jesus People series. There are seven letters that Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelation. And so today we're looking at the church in Sardis. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there is actually this growing market for alarm clocks. Did you know that? And the weirder and the more creative and the stranger, the better. Uh, I, in fact, one of the band members was telling me he, he slept through his alarm clock this morning. I won't out him, but he sits right over there. Uh, but uh, alarm clocks are becoming like more and more a thing and, and, and like weird alarm clocks. If you do a Google search of weird alarm clocks or extreme alarm clocks, you're going to find all these crazy ideas. So I, I just picked three. I just want to show you because I just find this interesting. Um, first one, go ahead and put that on the screen. This one, the way it works is when the alarm clock goes off, that propeller thing on it will shoot into the air and fly across your bedroom. And so what happens is you have to get out of bed and go find the propeller for wherever it landed, and you have to actually put it back on the alarm clock, and that's how the alarm will stop. So this is like torture, like forms of self-torture. Go ahead to the next one there. Um, the next one, this is the exploding puzzle alarm clock. Similar kind of idea. When the alarm goes off, the, the puzzle pieces explode. You have to get up out of bed, pick up the pieces, and put them back together and the correct puzzle, and that's when the alarm clock will go off. Uh, but my favorite one that I, that I found, go ahead to this next one. Uh, this is called the snooze and lose alarm clock. And basically the way this works is it's connected to your bank account. And so it, whenever you hit the snooze button, it will actually donate your money to an organization that you hate. That's what it will do. <laughs> so... Again, this is just punishment. I, I actually have a, a, an alarm clock that's unique. I've been using it for uh, several years now. It's, it's a nature alarm clock. And the way it works is it mimics a sunrise. And so what happens is very slowly, like 15 or 20 minutes before you want to get up, it's like it'll just start getting brighter and brighter and brighter, kind of like the sun. It's almost like you're camping. And then these birds start chirping and making these sounds that just get louder and louder and louder. Um, when I was in high school... My uh, alarm clock was a spray bottle filled with ice water. Uh, I, it was so hard, this is a true story, so difficult to get me up in the morning. And when I was a teenager, my mom would come in with ice water and a spray bottle and just like spray me in the face. That's how she would get me up out of bed. And so uh, alarm clocks are, are a big deal. Um, I just read this recently. Um, studies say the average person hits the snooze button sometime, uh, three times. The average person hits the snooze button three times every morning. So if you think that's probably like 10 minutes per snooze, that's like 30 minutes that the average person puts off having to wake up and get up in the morning. 30 minutes. So the snooze button is like kind of our way of saying, I'm, I'm not, you know, never going to get up. It's just I'm going to put it off as long as possible. And the reason I share that with you is because uh, we don't just hit the snooze button on waking up in the morning. 
we hit the snooze button and we put off having to wake up when it comes to things that God says in his word. Areas of obedience that he asks us to commit to, uh, there are areas where we just kind of hit the snooze button in our lives. I remember early on in my, my Christian walk, I, re, I remember studying the Bible and coming to the realization, and maybe some of you know this, that there is somewhere around 2,000 verses in the Bible about poverty and justice for the poor. And yet, you know, at the time in my life when I read that, I didn't even know a poor person, I don't think. I, I'd grown up in an environment where I, I remember reading that and just thinking about, really, that's something God cares about? It was like a wake-up call. It was, it was something I just wanted to hit the snooze button on and not deal with. Uh, as, I, as I've continued to follow Jesus throughout my life, there have been several moments where I become aware of, of some area in my life I just need to wake up on. Oftentimes, it has to do with public image versus sort of private world. So there have been several areas in which, for me, as long as the public image looks good, as long as, you know, the reputation is good here on the outside. I can rationalize areas of obedience in my life where I'm not living up to what God's called me to. It's like, hey, I'm not hurting anyone over here. Hey, this isn't, you know, nobody's aware of this. This isn't affecting my marriage. It's not affecting this area. So it's okay if this area of my personal world has a deficit in it. And so all throughout Scripture, God is, is calling people to wake up, to wake up. And in fact, that's the main message that Jesus wants to give the church in Sardis. His main message is, stop hitting the snooze button. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. So as we go into the text this morning, as you think about your life, is there any area of your life right now that you're hitting the snooze button on? It's not outright defiance. It's not outright disobedience. You're, you're going to get there someday in your head, like, hey, I've, I've got time. Eventually, I, I'm going to, you know, wake up to that. Is there any area, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your marriage, um, maybe it's in your personal world. It's been several for me in that, in that category where you go, man, eventually I'll get to that, but God's calling you to wake up. This is Revelation 3. This is how he begins the letter to the church in Sardis. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, we're just going to hit the pause button on the, on the letter right now and just kind of unpack that a little bit. We're going to read the rest of it here in a minute. But that's the message. Jesus is speaking to the church in Sardis, and he says, Look, Sardis, you have a great reputation. Everybody kind of knows you for having this great reputation, but I got to tell you, you're dead. And the main message he says is, wake up. The, the things that you care about are not the same things that Jesus cares about. You need to wake up to the things that Jesus cares about. Even though you have a good reputation, it, it doesn't mean that you care about the things that Jesus wants you to care about. And so if, if we could, let's take a little trip to Sardis for a moment, shall we? 
Um, Rue, can you just click? Here's a, a little bit of a, this is like a drone video flyover of the current um, today if you were to go to the ruins of Sardis. Um, Sardis was actually one of the oldest and most important cities of Asia Minor. And until 549 BC, Sardis was actually the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. What you're seeing right there is actually what's left of the Acropolis of the city. So Sardis was actually built on the northern slope of a mountain, Mount Timolus. And at the bottom of the mountain, there was this river called the River Pactolus that kind of acted as like a natural moat. And so what many people believed about the city of Sardis, it was kind of famous for having this reputation of being like an invincible city. It was impregnable, like nobody could, could overcome it because you had this moat, you had this, it was up a mountain, and so they could see any enemy coming for miles. And so it was, it was widely thought, there's, don't even try it. If you're an army trying to conquer, you're never going to take that city. It's invincible. But what we know is that in 549 B.C., there was one soldier who managed to scale the wall of the Acropolis and get in and let an entire army in, and the entire city was taken. It was quite literally a thief in the night that came, and the problem was no one was watching. The people of Sardis, they had no watchmen, no, no army prepared, no security. Basically, they thought they were so secure, they thought their city was so invincible, they weren't even bothering to watch, and that's how the city got taken. Another thing we know about Sardis is that earthquakes were really um, prominent in this area. But again, similar kind of idea. They thought because they were up the side of a mountain and they hadn't been affected by an earthquake before that they were invincible to it. But in A.D. 17, what we know is that Sardis was completely destroyed by an earthquake. Uh, the Roman emperor Tiberius had to actually rebuild the city, but it never regained its kind of former prominence in the ancient world. And so this is the city of Sardis. This is the group of people that Jesus is speaking to, and he's speaking to the church that's there in Sardis, and he's kind of paralleling their story, and basically he's saying, look, you've had these surprise events, a thief in the night that takes over the whole city because you failed to watch, an earthquake that you should have been prepared for, you should have had savings for, but you were not prepared for at all. And his message is, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. You should have seen these things coming, but you weren't ready for it. Wake up. So as we look at ourselves today, as we think about this message, as we turn it toward ourselves in our world, how do you know that you need to wake up in your spiritual walk? Obviously, Jesus wasn't saying to the church, hey, you need to do a better job preparing for an army or an earthquake. He was talking about their spiritual lives. He was talking about their interior world. He was saying, look, you have this reputation of being dead, or I'm sorry, of being alive, but you're dead, and you got to wake up. So how do we know in our own spiritual lives that there's an area of deadness and that we're, we need to wake up? How do we know? Can I offer a thought? I think the way for me, usually I, I, become, I start to become aware there's an area that I need to wake up and pay attention to in my life is because I start to fit in a little too well. You think about what Christians are called to be in our world. Peter said, we are aliens and foreigners. We're passing through this world. This world is not our home. 
Paul said our citizenship is in heaven in Philippians 3, and we await a Savior from there. He was saying that to Roman citizens who prize their citizenship in their, uh, in their nationality above everything else. He said, nope, we're citizens of heaven. It, it, do, you, do you fit in a little too perfectly to one political side or the other? W- wake up. Wake up. We're not supposed to fit in in this world. Um, what, what about when it comes to um, at your work environment? When the jokes at your work environment start to become more and more inappropriate, or in your school, your group of friends, do you join in? Do you fit in? Or do you find yourself kind of standing apart? Uh, what about conflict? When you find yourself in conflict with another person, there's a fight, there's a disagreement. Do you handle it just like the rest of the world handles it? I've been you know, amazed in the last couple of years at how I feel like as a society we're just getting worse and worse and worse at resolving conflict, interpersonal conflict with one another. Do you, do you resolve conflict just like the rest of the world? Um, is your online behavior indistinguishable from everyone else? Jesus says, wake up. We're not supposed to fit in. Christians are supposed to be kind of weird. You ever seen that bumper sticker? If you've ever been out to Portland, it says, keep Portland weird. I always think that's, exact, that's the perfect message for the church. Keep Christianity weird. That should be the message for the church. We're supposed to be a little bit weird. We're supposed to be a little bit different. We're never supposed to fit in perfectly in the world that we live in. So maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, why does it matter, right? I mean, or maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, well, why does it matter if, if whether I fit in or not? <laughs> you know, why, is that really a big spiritual issue in my life? He, here's why it matters if we fit in or not. It's because, and this is what Jesus is trying to say to the church in Sardis, the truth, the reality is that we are all preparing for something. See, see the, the lie the enemy wants to come in and whisper to you is, you can hit the snooze button. <laughs> you got all kinds of time to wake up to that thing in your life. You know, someday you can get serious about that. Someday you can start preparing for your future on that. But right now, you got plenty of time. I believe that. But, but the reality is we are always preparing for something. Every single one of us, you are always, at any given moment in your life, you are always in a season of preparation. Some of you... Uh, are in a season of preparation for retirement. You're preparing for your retirement. You're in your work years right now, but you're thinking about, you know, what what is retirement going to be like? Others of you are in a season of life where you're preparing for your career. You're going to school, you're getting your degree, and you're preparing for your career. Some of you are preparing for marriage. Some of you are preparing for a family, for a baby. But no matter what it is, we're always in a season of preparation. So it's not a question of are you preparing for something. It's a question of what kind of future are you actually preparing for because you're preparing for a future. Every one of us in this room is preparing for a future. And so if you want to go ahead to that that next slide, the question is are you preparing for a short-term gain and a long-term loss? A short-term gain where I get what I want right now, but in, in the long view of life, when it comes to my legacy, when it comes to eternity, it's going to be a loss? Or am I preparing for a short-term loss? There's a sacrifice that I have to make right now in the short term, but it's going to lead to a long-term gain. In the long run, in the long run of life, 
when it comes to legacy, when it comes to what God's called me to be in the long view of life, it's going to be a gain. Can we just unpack that for a second? What Jesus is trying to say to the church in Sardis, he's saying, look, a good Christian reputation does not equal salvation. Having a good reputation or coming from a family where you had a good Christian reputation, maybe you grew up in the church, that doesn't equal salvation. Jesus says, you have to know me. In the Gospels, Jesus says, many will say to me at the end of the age, Lord, Lord, and, he's gonna, and Jesus says, I'm going to say back to you, I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah, you, you had a good reputation. You did some good things, but, but I never knew you. What we're called to do is to put our faith in the person of Jesus and to know him, to, have this, to live in this abiding relationship with him. John 15 talks about uh, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me, you abide in me. It's a day-to-day experience of knowing him, of following him, of walking with him. Do, do we know him? Or do we just have a good reputation of being a Christian? Jesus says, wake up. You got to wake up. You're preparing for a future right now, but it's not the future you think you're preparing for. Be about the things that I call you to be about. What about us as a church? I'm so excited uh, for this new building, and, and um, Pete, for all the work you're doing, and just um, the exciting. I got to see the worship night you guys had in this new space. Uh, it's going to be an incredible thing, but, but here's the question I'd love to ask you. Uh, are, you are we preparing to have a new building? I mean, don't get me wrong, that's going to be awesome, right? It'll be nice not to have to set up and tear down every single week. Somebody should have said amen or something to that. I don't know, man. I would be ready to, to be done to setting up and tearing down every week if I were in you guys' shoes. There's been a faithfulness that's, been, uh, that's come with that. that we're, you're, you guys are about to enter a whole new season of this church's history and this church's life. Are you preparing to have a building where we go, hey, we're in it? Or are we thinking, are we preparing to use a building so that people can come to know Jesus? so that marriages can be restored, so that students can have a place even during the week to come and to be uh, transformed by the message of Christ. So so that's the thinking. If you're you're preparing to have a new building, that's a short-term gain, but probably equals a long-term loss. But if you're preparing to to use a new building, it's all about what God wants to do to transform the community in that space. You're preparing maybe for some more short-term losses, some sacrifices, to see it come to be, but it's going to equal a long-term gain. I'm just so excited about what God wants to do. But again, we've got to be people who are watchful. You know, don't be like the city of Sardis just saying, yeah, we don't even have to put post watchmen on the walls. Nobody's going to cross that moat, that river. Nobody's going to climb up here to the side of the mountain. Nobody's going to scale the Acropolis. Are you kidding me? We can just don't do that. Jesus says, wake up, be about the things that I want you to be about. So he says, wake up. And he calls them to four things. They're going to be on the screen there. First of all, he says, strengthen. Strengthen what is left, he says. Their deeds are unfinished. That's what he said. Then he says, remember. Remember how you first received God's word. So don't stray, but remember. And then he says, hold fast. Hold fast to to the person of Jesus. So build your life on the person of Jesus. And then he says, repent. 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 If there's any area of sin in your life, the good news is you've got time right now. You're preparing for a future. Repent. 
repent. And, and Jesus says, if you don't, you're going to be overtaken by an enemy. But it's not going to be an enemy scale in the Acropolis. So you're going to be overtaken by me personally, Jesus says. And this is a pretty... This is a pretty intense letter. It's a pretty intense message he's giving the church in Sardis. But before he ends it, he ends the last part of this message with the good news of the gospel. And and so don't miss it. The message is hard. It's come on, wake up, strengthen what's left, repent where you need to repent. He calls the church to wake up. But then at the very end, he closes with this, Revelation 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, yet... You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I love this. I love the way that Jesus ends this way because you see there encapsulated the gospel message. You see this hope that Jesus points us to, that our names are written in the book of life. That when we do wake up, when we do put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus, and not just kind of try to have a good reputation, but really know him and really follow after him, he says there's hope. No matter what you go through in this life, no matter what you have to endure, no matter how different or weird it makes you, when you really follow after me, he says, in the end, it will be worth it. Some words that have just been encouraging me so much, I stumbled across them right around the time I found out I was going to have to go through treatment, were the words of 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards. Here's what he said. He said, in Christ, our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best things are yet to come. That's the gospel message. That's the hope that we have. That's the comfort we have in knowing that if we know Jesus, there might be some short-term losses, but there's long-term gains. Way better than anything we could ever uh, look for. The best things are yet to come. I was thinking about how when I was a kid, I had this uh, little teddy bear. In fact, I think it was given to me like when I was a baby. And it became like that thing. If some of you, if you have kids, you know it's like that thing your kid just carries around. I carried this teddy bear around with me until like it was just tattered. It was, it was threadbare. The, I remember like the ear was like ripping off of it. And I wouldn't put this teddy bear down. And so my mom, same lady who came in and sprayed me with the spray bottle. I, I have forgiven my mom uh, mostly, by the way. Lots of therapy, but no, I'm just kidding. She's probably watching, actually. I love you, Mom. Um, When I was a kid, I I had this teddy bear, and I guess I got to a certain age where she felt like he's too old to be having this teddy bear. So what she was thinking about was my future. As a good mom would, she was thinking about how do I help him prepare for his future, right? A 21-year-old with a teddy bear is a bad look. And so here's what my mom did. I wasn't thinking about my future. I was just thinking about Teddy. Apparently what happened is I fell asleep in the back seat of the car, on the way home one day, and so she, uh, she, gets, she goes to get me out, and I'm still asleep, and she notices I had dropped Teddy on the floor of the car. So she takes me and puts me to bed, and then she takes Teddy, and she puts Teddy in a box and puts him in the attic. And when I woke up, my driving question was, where's Teddy? Where's Teddy? And she said, ah, oh, you must have lost him. <laughs> and so for two weeks, I cried and my mom said it was just, like, horrible to watch me. I, I, like, went around the house crying. I couldn't find Teddy. I was looking for him everywhere. And finally, after about two weeks, I did what all kids do after two weeks, right? 
I moved on. I forgot about it and moved on with my life. Turns out I didn't really need Teddy every single day. So fast forward years later, I'm, in, I'm a high schooler now. My mom is cleaning out the, the attic one day. She says, Brian, come here, come here. So I come over, and there's this old box she's taken down out of the attic, and she hands me Teddy. She says, this is your, this is your teddy bear. She, she told me what she did. Yeah, I actually hit it. You never really lost it and everything. And I, I'll never forget, like, holding this tattered, ripped-up teddy bear. It was grungy and nasty. It smelled bad, like the ear was half torn off. And I remember looking at this thing thinking, this is what I cried about for two weeks? This was the thing I couldn't let go of? You know how, like, in your brain you think, like, this was this amazing teddy bear. I remember looking at it going, this was horrible. This was the thing I loved and thought was so incredible. And I wonder if, if in heaven, that's the way the things of this world are going to look to us. The things that we thought were so important to cling hold of right now, the things that we thought were the main things of life, the things that, we, that made our reputation what they were. I wonder if those things are going to seem like that old, ragged teddy bear, you know, in heaven, with a, with a heavenly perspective, I wonder if we're going to look back and realize, man, uh, the future that God wanted me to prepare for was so much bigger than that. This is why Jesus in the gospel said things like, don't store up treasure on earth where moths and rust will destroy. Store up treasure in heaven because that's the treasure that can't be taken away. That's the thing that will be eternal, that will matter at the end of all eternity. And so the question I'd love to just kind of close us on is just this simple question, what future are you preparing for? Because the truth is every one of us is preparing. You may think you're not preparing. You're preparing. The, the question is just what future is it that you're preparing for? So is there an area of life where you've grown complacent? Is there an area of life where you need to repent? Is there any place where you need to ask for help? Um, is there any place where you need to bring discipline? Is there any place where you need to make a plan? Can I encourage you? Do it. Do it now. Don't wait. Because what's waiting for you on the other side of that is a Savior who, who says eternal life is yours. Everything that you deal with, everything that you're going to experience in this life, in the end will be worth it when you follow me and when you put your faith and your trust in me. So could we bow our heads just for a moment? I'd love to just take a second as the band comes up. So Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now. And God, this is not a, a moment or a place of judgment or, or condemnation. What this is, uh, is some space. Lord, your word says, Psalm 103, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. Just like the people of Sardis, God, uh, your message was wake up because you, you still have time. There's time. But every single one of us is preparing for a future. And so God, this morning, if there's anywhere, maybe for some of us in this room right now, we know. We know the area. We know the spot in our life where we need to wake up. 
where you need to take an inventory of the way we've been living. Maybe it's a sin pattern that we've just let go. There's a good public reputation, and so we've said, ah, it's not hurting anybody. I don't need to, I don't need to deal with that. Maybe it's an area where we need to forgive someone. And uh, maybe for some of us, it's, it's an area where we need to ask forgiveness for something that's happened. God, whatever it is, would you stir in our hearts? Would you stir in us? God, if, maybe there are some of us in the room who say, man, I, I don't know what it is, but I just sense there's something. Would you just speak to us? Would you show us each in our lives where it is that you call us to wake up? We want to be like those who you described, who, who are dressed in white, walking with you, whose names are, are written in the book of life. So Jesus, we thank you for you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what it means that when we put our lives fully in you and when we know you, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us and the best things are still yet to come. We just love you. We thank you for who you are. We worship you now. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, 